Welcome to the Vibrant MD Podcast, where we discuss weight loss, women's health, and food. I'm your host, Dr. Heather Awad, a family doctor and certified weight loss coach. This podcast is informational, but is not meant as medical advice. Anything you want to change after listening should be discussed with your own doctor and personal medical team. I'm so glad that you're here with me today. Hello, my vibrant friend. Thank you for being here today on the Vibrant MD podcast, and perhaps you are watching on YouTube as well. I am thrilled to have with me today Dr. Amy Bertries, a general surgeon and a coach. And we're talking today about difficult partners at work. This comes to me because so many of you tell me that difficult people at work cause you to eat your feelings about them and your frustration. And so I thought, let's dive into this. So Dr. Bertrice, can you please introduce yourself for the audience? So glad to be on here. And I think Vibrant MD is like the best name ever. I mean, who wouldn't want that? (laughs) I'm a general surgeon and certified coach and army veteran. And I've been a general surgeon. I finished residency in 2010. I did uh, most of my training and actually all my training in the military at Walter Reed and got out and joined an employed group because that's what I was told we were supposed to do. And then I ended up going and starting a private practice in 2020 because why not start a private practice in the middle of the pandemic? Meh. And along the way, there's a lot of lessons we've learned. So I wrote a book last year called Become the Boss MD, Success Beyond Residency, where I talked about a lot of these lessons. And the concept of the boss was started back in 2015 when I was trying to get more people to come to our American College of Surgeons meetings. I said, you have to offer people practical things that we don't learn, like CVs and negotiating and things like that. But over time and with more experience, I start realizing the lesson we really need to learn is how to deal with other people and how to advocate for ourselves and how to manage our, our minds around complications. So there's a lot of intangible things that we're not taught that we really need a lot of help and support with. And dealing with difficult partners is always challenging. You know, how do we create safety within any interaction? And that is the one biggest lesson I've had in the last few years where I've made the most personal progress, realizing just how important it is to understand our thoughts and other people's thoughts and how they interact together and give us all the results we're getting. Because I don't think anyone wants to be the difficult partner. And the irony of all this is, is that once we become the difficult part or once we have a difficult partner, it's not very long until we become the difficult partner. And even I, you know, I hear people talk about just being when they get burnt out in their work, all of a sudden they didn't know they were now the angry one and the the one that was difficult to be on a committee with. And they think, what, how did I become this? Oh, yeah. It, it's a predictable pattern. So what happens is we interact with someone and keeping this like fact-based and as neutral as possible. We interact with someone and they say words and we say words and we are not on the same page. We have thoughts about the words that they say. They have thoughts about the words we say. And now all of a sudden you're having a conversation, not with two people, but with four people. There's what I'm saying and what I think they mean. There's what they're saying and what I, you know, what they think I mean. And we stop talking to the person in front of us and we start talking to our assumptions about what they're saying. And this is based on our history and our past, like misreading or interpreting or adding layers. And then we start acting like that person because we've now brought out the worst version of that other person in front of us. 
and they start bringing out the worst version in us. And that is how, you know, I don't know, hilarity ensues, if you will. Right, right. But that's true. You're so right. You, um, you would love to just run away from them, but instead you become your worst version of yourself. I, I love that you said that. So I teach actually a three-month program of dealing with a difficult partner mm-hmm. as part of an annual program, which, of course, difficult partners show up in all aspects of it anyway. Uh, yes. And what makes someone difficult, I think, is always an interesting place to start. What makes someone difficult is they don't think the way we want them to think, or they don't act the way we want them to act. So even when you think of those, I guess, facts leading to our thoughts about a difficult person, why would they act or think the way that we think that they should? We oftentimes have some idea that people should behave the way in in a certain way. And when they don't, we think they are the problem, not necessarily our thoughts about how they should behave. So we often don't question first, should they behave that way? And if they're behaving that way, the first problem is we are arguing with reality because we're saying they shouldn't do this. And yet there they are. Right, right. Because sometimes, I mean, sometimes there's a real righteousness in those thoughts about other people, right? I had a client who, someone in her group, when they go on conferences, is like going off to the strip clubs. And she's like, oh, then I have to work with him the next day. And uh, he's not a good team player, you know, and has thoughts about and. So she feels very righteous that this person is not a good person, but it doesn't serve her in working with him on a team either. And I love that you said righteous because righteous indignation is the banner flagstaff of the victim. And, you know, when you think about that, it's absolutely true. Like our righteous indignation is like they are doing something different and it is offensive to me. You know, they are the problem and I am a victim of it. Yeah. And so what do we do with that? Well, first of just recognizing it. I tell people, you know, because that righteous indignation, you know, really fires us up and it really motivates us. And we don't necessarily see the problem in it because it, it's usually giving us some results that we want. So when I'm righteously indignant that someone is behaving that way, then I'm fired up and I'm taking action, I'm doing things. But that is fueled by harm. It's fueled by this ad- adversity. And you don't have to necessarily be fueled by adversity to hope to have change. The idea of being, you know, righteously indignant is we now have a a worse opinion of this other person. This other person no longer is going to be an ally to us. They are an opponent to us. So the, the competition in us will lead you to potentially, you know, exceed a little bit. But that fuel runs out really quickly because we all need allies. And the more that we can understand that everyone has their own thoughts and opinions, we start to realize we have influence over their thoughts and based on how we act. And if we come acting like a competitor, they're going to now start treating us like a competitor. You've now actually made your life a little bit harder. So not only do you not have an ally, you now have an opponent that you have created. That is super interesting. And maybe you've taken that, like like this client who's taken it from something that happens outside of actually the work arena. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, following this through to your mission about like, why do we eat? I mean, we eat because of feelings. And, you know, when you're so fired up about something, you're so passionate and all of a sudden you think it should be working and it's not working because now this person who's like, well, see, they were like this and now they're like this. You know, we're now both building up evidence against each other. Now, the things that seem like such a great idea 
all of a sudden feel like, I mean, gosh, yeah, I'm making some progress, but why does it feel so terrible? And it leads to a lot of confusion about why we're getting the results we're getting because we haven't noticed that pattern. So you are dealing a lot with doctors and medical practices, but this really works for anyone in their workplace, right? Because even if you work with other people, this is going to come up, right? Oh, yeah. So a really important thing to think about in relationships is, I kind of alluded to it a little bit, is how we mind read what other people are thinking. And <laughs> I, I love this concept because we don't think we're mind reading. We think this is what they're saying. And this is true in conversations, but maybe even easier to explain in emails because we get this email, you know, righteous indignation is starting to like rise up. And so a lot of times we don't necessarily know how to interact with people because a lot of times people are communicating by email, email that strips of tone and, you know, leads mm. you to be subject to interpretation. You can't explain or, you know, really take cues from the other people to, to help further this conversation. So in this email where there's just these words, we add layers to it. Like they say this, but they mean this. So we add all these layers to it. We mind read what they may be thinking. So now we fire off an email, which again is maybe talking to a different person or talking to our reaction to what they think and our mind reading what they think, not necessarily what's said. We fire off an email and then it goes back and forth. And all of a sudden we have, again, those same four people in the conversation, except now we're like, oh, now I've got proof. So I'm going to get a third person in here. I'm going to call HR or my boss or some hierarchy. And what's really fascinating with a third party who has no interest in these two things either conversations or emails, this third party person usually starts with the facts. And when you look at the facts of what's been said or what's been written in an email, they see something differently because a lot of times they don't see the layers that we're adding to it. So one of the helpful things that I learned early on in coaching, when someone's like, well, my partner did this. And I like, what did they actually say? Yeah. And then we stop with those words for a minute. It's like, what did the email actually say? Yeah. And it's just amazing for, and I've done this myself too. When I look back at something that is like written down, my opinion of what actually happened is like, well, that actually doesn't say that, does it? And sometimes people read it to me with a tone, you know, like the, you know, a really mean tone or a snotty tone or a, you know, yeah. sarcastic tone or like, well, there are actual words there. I mean, when we strip things down to the facts, and give ourselves a little bit of a, a moment before we react. And even just repeating back when you're in a conversation with someone, like, you know, I hear you saying this. And this is one of Chris Boss's negotiation techniques, is allowing someone to re repeat something back. When you ask them a question about something, or even repeat the last word they said as a question, they have to then reformulate what they're thinking and reframe it. Because it's very difficult for us to say the same thing over and over again. So the more you can ask questions about someone and inquire about what they mean, they will give you closer to the meaning that they actually think. And you can potentially even influence that by saying, you know, in, in some ways that you say things like, sounds like you said this. And if you can kind of drop into a curious tone and an interested tone or something that is relatively neutral, it's going to allow that person to feel relatively safe to now rephrase and repeat what they're trying to get rather than respond to a defense that they feel like they have to mount if you come at them with your perception of what's going on in a negative way. So being really conscious of the fact that we have the ability to bring out the best version of someone 
by not rising to this and not and a little bit managing our own th- desire to, to to win in that scenario and approach things and choose the emotion that we approach them with will really help that interaction flow in a much more productive way. I think that is a super helpful technique because I'm thinking about there are people in our workplaces that, I mean, we can't objectively say it, but we know that there are sometimes people at work, they're, they're toxic. We wish they would leave. We wish we could get away from them. But I love what you're saying by asking them to restate the same thing, then then they will come up with something different. If it was a, sna- a snippy comment, if it was rude, they they will redo, they will reframe, they will, to have to say that same thing over again, they, they will likely notice that they want to say it differently. Yeah, I mean, when you think of something like really obvious, it's like no one actually wants to be miserable at work. I and mean, if we really embrace the idea that maybe not everyone wants to be miserable at work, then we could open up ourselves up to the idea that maybe they don't want a bad interaction either. And when you go with this idea that, of course, we, we're actually all on the same page with that. And I just actually had a webinar about a week ago where I offered a very simple te- technique that, that is easy to, to get in any situation, especially someone you repeatedly deal with. So when you think of the person that we're dealing with, if we try to find the best version of them, and this is all imagination, like our, our relationship with these people, our, our thoughts about them. So let's imagine the best version of that person we want to interact with. And the more we get to know them, their actions, their, you know, and we really create this well-formed picture of them ahead of time, ahead of the interaction. And now we actually look at our best version, the best version of us, of, you know, how we show up, the things we like about ourselves. And we now keep these two people in mind before you have that interaction. So now you're now working with the construct of the person that you are and the construct of the person that they are. And always keep in mind, I'm only talking to the best version of this person. So when they say something, we only talk to that best version of them. And we try to find that best version of us. And if we get off track, we try to get back to you know being that best version of us. That is a, a really simple, easy technique. And it really is a lot of prep time up front. I shouldn't say a lot. It's mostly just having some prep time up front. Most of us can find something good in someone, you know, something positive or or some construct of something that we have. And even if you have to make it up, early on in my, I think it was a couple of years ago, the, the first time I did a podcast interview about, or a podcast subject about the difficult partner, I talked about how I use the visualization technique of imagination. And I imagine them like dressed up in a clown costume and things like that. Because <laughs> usually what happens is people feel like a threat. So when we interact with them, you know, we're already fired up before we even talk to them because it's the primitive aspect of us. You know, the executive function of our brain is only about 10% and it takes a little minute to catch up. Because if we had to think all the time, our brains would be too enormous for our head. (laughs) (laughs) Most of the time, we are acting automatically. So what you want to do is create an automatic response that's ready. And that's where the preparation comes in. So visualizing someone, you know, on a funny way puts you automatically in a non-threatening mood. But, you know, as you get a little bit more mature in your interactions with people, you know, really finding the best authentic version of them can lead to more authentic relationships. Yeah, no, I, I love that because it's funny how just thinking about something a little bit ahead of time and accepting kind of what's 
what it's going to be like really can help you do well with the situation because sometimes we're we're avoiding thinking about that difficult person we're hoping we don't see them even though we know we're probably going to see them and then they come around the corner and then you know and then you're all attacked and but if ahead of time you're like i'm going to see them and they're going to say something that's probably going to make me mad and then you're threatened and this is how i want to show up yeah it really diffuses it right oh totally but if something like really setting you off, I mean, I think like the examples I've given was that and, you know, an easy one is like their adult head on a little toddler body throwing a fit. Anything like immediately brings you some amusement. So the more you're able to really use your creative energy for that, you can potentially get yourself in a position that's very easy to interact with other people. And eventually you won't need these tricks anymore. But, you know, recognizing that it is a trick, you're trying to trick the part of your brain that thinks automatically. And there's a good reason that we think automatically because our brain doesn't care if we're happy just doesn't want us to die (laughs) it's not trying to optimize (laughs) yeah exactly and and they don't care like the person walking down the hall you know whether it's a lion or someone who just irritates us you know it's just like that person raises you know some primitive part of us that says run they make us feel terrible you should probably run and I, I've even you know kind of come across clients too who are thinking about changing their job because they don't like the people where they are and not not particularly I mean there are times like when you particularly work with someone maybe they are right over you and and that is a good reason to leave but but just people in general in the office you know, like there's these two toxic people so I really want to change jobs and knowing that going into another corporate center there you know there will be other people there other humans right yeah yeah good luck finding only the people you get along with I wish everyone luck on that job search Yes. <laughs> That's lovely. Then you go to the grocery store. You're like, well, I'm not just get along with them either. Right. <laughs> that actually leads me to another thing about this. A lot of times, especially if you've had a long ongoing relationship with somebody where it's, you know, toxic, the problem that people don't want to seek help because we've participated in this interaction. Like not only is that are we dealing with the worst version of that other person, we have brought our worst version of ourselves. And sometimes what, when we think of that interaction, we're thinking of ourselves as that worst version of ourself. And that in, can trigger shame that will keep us from seeking help because now we think we're the problem. And why on earth we want to like reach out to someone and share with them that we're the problem? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. So if someone was thinking, you know, I just, I've got somebody right now. What are the baby steps? I, I think the, the best thing is easy things first. You know recognizing that one can do a quick, easy step, which is, again, finding the best version of someone. That's a very easy technique to do. The next is just ask yourself, why does this person set me off? This person, like these people that you interact with, give you the most valuable insight into what's going on in your mind. Because a lot of times these people are like the flat Stanleys of the world that are just, you know, having us reflect our own thoughts and how we interact in the world. And that is our work to do. It is not our work to control other people's opinion about us. It is our job to decide if we are satisfied with how we show up in the world. And that is the work that I think is really important for people to do, not controlling other people's opinion about us. And good luck with that, too. (laughs) And and I think, you know, I work with a lot of middle-aged women, and there's still that socialization, too, of we should like each other and not just be workmates, otherwise I failed. You know, that that's an undercurrent in there as well, which helps to just look at, I think, sometimes, too, because it's 
it's okay if we're not good friends with these people or, you know, we don't send them gifts on their birthday or they don't send us one or, you know. Yes, exactly. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate what you talked about. It's it's a common problem, right? It totally is. And with some simple solutions and in a lot of work. I mean, this is the work that we're going to do. Like, who are we as people? And the best way to learn who you are as a person is to ask yourself, how do you interact with other people? Yeah, I love that. I I think you're right. It's an ongoing thing. I feel like there's always a new aspect to look at for ourselves. (laughs) Well, where can people find you? I I will make sure that all your information is in the show notes, but tell people how to interact with you. The best way to interact with me is you can find everything, all links on the podcast, or I'm sorry, the website, bosssurgery.com. So my podcast is the Boss Business of Surgery series. It's not just for surgeons because we certainly talk about a lot of things, leadership, difficult people, complications, things like that. A lot of things about private practice and a revenue cycle, all kinds of things that are really important for the average working person. I also wrote a book that you can find on Amazon. It's called Become the Boss MD, Success okay. Beyond Residency. That talks about a lot of lessons that you haven't learned in residency. So those are probably the easiest ways to get a hold of me. Terrific. Well, thank you again for being here. And we'll make sure we have your social media note links too as well. People want to follow you. Thank you so much, Dr. Rod. I appreciate it. 